Jesus said to his disciples, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him the fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won over your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, so that every fact may be established on the testimony of, what, of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Amen, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, amen, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything for which they are to pray, it shall be granted to them by my heavenly Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Gospel of the Lord. You know how all the good Catholics sit in the back? Well, today we see when we have outdoor mass, they all sit in the shade. <laughs> Nobody was hurt. In all the chaos and confusion of the fire, you know, that first day, those were the first words of hope that I heard. Nobody was hurt. And we repeated them to each other didn't we, over and over that first day, like a litany, giving thanks to God. The church is burning, the roof caved in, the sanctuary might be a total loss, but nobody was hurt. And then gradually, as we got more information, we added more lines to the litany. The Blessed Sacrament was safe, like Father Jeff reminded us last Sunday. The altar candles didn't even melt. Isn't that miraculous? And the school is going to reopen tomorrow. And nobody was hurt. Thanks be to God. Well, one person was hurt in the fire. And that's the man who started it. Now, he wasn't hurt physically, as far as I know. But he gave himself a deadly spiritual wound kind of a spiritual self-harm. Because by lighting the fire that burned the church, he also lit a fire of guilt within his own heart. And even now, the fire in the church has long since gone out, but that fire within his soul continues to burn within him, within his conscience, tormenting him with that guilt he refuses to admit. You know, twice he refused to come to court for the arraignment. 
the third time they had to bring him there by force and he hid the entire time. He wouldn't look anybody in the eye. That tells us something, doesn't it? Even now he's in jail, but he's really imprisoned more deeply by his own refusal to repent. Now, many of us are angry, and rightfully so, over the loss of our church. Our brother has sinned against us. And it's tempting to wish for revenge, to want to see him suffer. But our Lord Jesus Christ shows us a different way. As members of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have one fundamental obligation before everything else, and that is charity. We hear it today in the first, or the second reading, rather, from St. Paul. Owe nothing to anyone except to love your neighbor as yourself. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, this love, the charity, this is not sentimental, hallmark card love. It's love that really wills and prays for and works for the good of the other. Charity means we want the other person to be well, to be holy, to be good, to be converted, to be happy as far as it's possible in this life, but above all, to attain that eternal happiness, which is the inheritance of all the saints, everlasting life in the kingdom of God. Charity is the kind of love that God has for us. And when we see, when we understand God's love as charity aimed at our eternal salvation, then we begin to understand what it means that his mercy and his justice go together. In fact, the theologians tell us that God's mercy is his justice. They're like two sides of the same coin seen from different angles because both God's mercy and God's justice are modalities or or expressions of his charity. His unwavering will that every soul should be saved. And likewise, when we understand that we are called to love with that same charity, with divine love, then we begin to see how these two things, correction or punishment even, and forgiveness, go together like two sides of the same coin. That's why our Lord can teach us in today's gospel the proper way to correct a brother who sins against us, you know, the escalating measures. But then in the very next verse, he tells us that we're supposed to forgive 70 times seven times, which is to say infinitely. As often as your brother sins against you, you forgive him. Because charity harmonizes what seem to us like opposites. Yes, we correct someone who sins against us. And we may hope to see him punished for his own good. But we do not hope to see him suffer in vengeance for his sins. We want to see him converted to repent and to be healed. And so we also forgive him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For his own good, because we want him to enter into life. That's what it means to be members of God's family. We love the way our Father loves, 
the way Christ our Lord loves us for our eternal salvation. Now today at this Holy Mass, we receive the sacrament of charity, the Holy Eucharist. And as we take and eat the risen body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who offers himself up on this altar as a sacrifice of love for our conversion, for our salvation, we likewise offer up our prayers for our brother's repentance. And as we pray for him, we pile up burning coals on that fire that's already burning within his heart. We pray the hour will come swiftly when that fire overtakes him. When the walls of his defenses cave in and come crumbling down and he cries out in repentance, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as we pray and forgive him from the heart, we each contribute to rebuilding our church. Not with bricks and mortar, but with the bonds of charity. Because we belong to a church, a family, which is built up in love. And therefore, it endures forever. The family of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Always, now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.